Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12. One of the things about having a podcast that is on a 20-minute timer is that you don't always stop at the most opportune moments. In fact, sometimes when that timer hits 20 minutes, it's at an awkward point to stop. And that's kind of how we ended last week. It was a little bit awkward. Uh, the, the, the gist of it was this. At the time when the kings were supposed to go to war, David stayed home. David had just had a massive victory against his enemies. Uh, he had shown his prowess in battle and in leadership, and he, uh, he was in a good spot. But then he stayed home. And a few days after the armies had left and David was alone and there was uh, all of the leading men of his court would have gone out to, to fight the battles. The only people left in the town are the women and the old men and the young men. Everyone else is gone. And after a few days, David was up one night on top of his roof. And the king, as you might imagine, has the tallest roof. There's no building taller than the king's house. He has the, the best view, the best vantage point. And one night he looks down and he sees a woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba and she was beautiful and he sent for her and he slept with her. And she was, got pregnant by him. In fact, the scriptures tell us that uh, she had just come off of her uh, monthly cycle. So it was clear that it was David's child and not her husband's who had gone away to the battle. And so to cover it all up, David sent for her husband. Hey, give me a report how the battle is going. And her husband gives the report and he says, all right, cool, stay tonight and then you can go back to the battle. And so he expects that her husband Uriah will go home and have a meal, have a bath, make love to his wife. <laughs> that's, that's literally what the Bible says. He'll make love to his wife. But he didn't. He went out and he slept with the servants in the palace. He slept in the, in the servants' hold. And David heard about this, that he hadn't gone home. And he calls him and said, hey man, why didn't you go home? And he said, well... My commander and my comrades are out at the battle. The ark of the Lord, the presence of God is out at the battle. How could I go home and, and enjoy comfort and luxury? And he's saying that to David, the king. So David says, all right, stay one more night. And then David basically gets, gets Uriah drunk. And he figures, all right, when he's drunk, he'll stumble home. And he still went and slept in the servant's hall. So David gives orders that Uriah be killed, but it needs to look like an accident. So he says to the commander of the army, hey, uh, put Uriah where the worst fighting is and make sure that he's not supported when the time comes and that the enemy kills him. And he did. And it says that uh, after Bathsheba's time of mourning was over, David brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. And the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. And that's where we got left off. Now, what David is doing to cover this up is he has Uriah killed. And then after her time of mourning is done, he brings his wife into his house. And it, from the outside, if you were an outside observer and you didn't know any better, you would think that the king was taking care of the widow of one of his servants, taking her as his wife. That's not what was going on, but that's what he was trying to make it look like. Now, growing up in the church... I try to believe the best about my Christian upbringing, and so I, I want to think that this was unintentional. 
But what I heard, the general message I heard taught, and I don't blame any one person. I grew up at, generally speaking, we went to one church my whole childhood. But it was a big church. And, and as a kid, I wasn't hearing the main preaching sermons, you know. So, so who knows, was it a youth leader? Was it a, uh, you know, I went to Christian school for, for a long time. Like, was it somebody at a chapel message? Was it a, a teacher? I don't know where this came from, but I know that this was the general thing that I got from David and Bathsheba. That David and Bathsheba committed adultery together. And the message I heard was, young man, watch out. David was a strong man. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who had experienced victory. And then that Bathsheba came along. You got to watch out. Those women will trip you up. That's the teaching I heard. I don't, I just hope that it wasn't intentional that way, but that's what I heard. And I don't think I was the only one. And what does that message send? Well, it says to young women, it's your fault. It says to young men, it's their fault. It says what we'll call consensual activities is something we'll call it to wash it away. But what David really did was, was rape. It was, it was forced intimacy. You say, well, we don't see that here. The Bible talks about rape in other places. It doesn't say that there was the power dynamics between the king and a woman in the capital are so disjointed that it doesn't matter. It's the same as, it's the same as uh, statutory. We understand. Uh, we understand that uh, a 19-year-old and a 14-year-old can't be consensual. You know, I just read this article uh, last week about Carl Malone, famous NBA player from my childhood, and how he, had, when he was 19, got a 14-year-old girl pregnant. That's statutory rape. That's not a consensual act because it's with a minor. We understand that. If the king who holds the power literally to have her husband murdered calls you in, there's no saying no in that situation. The power dynamics are so skewed. Uh, we, we understand it. That's why, like, you know, educators, even if you had like a, a senior in high school and, and they were 18 years old and so they're not a minor, an educator would still be in trouble because the power dynamics, even if, it's, if they're legally an adult, the power dynamics are so skewed that it's not an okay thing. We have to understand what's going on here. Bathsheba is the victim, but that's never what was taught. That was never taught to me. And then when I was about 19 years old, I got a new Bible. And it was, a, you know, one of those study Bibles that have like people giving kind of commentaries or thoughts or devotionals. And it was the first time I, I came across the idea that Bathsheba had been the victim and not the temptress, not the seductress, but the victim. And I had to really work through that because all of the teaching I had ever had was the opposite. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that there are going to be things in our Christian experience, especially if we've been in the church a long time, especially if we grew up in the church, that were taught that weren't necessarily right. They were taught, but they weren't necessarily correct. That's why I think I'm always hesitant when somebody says, well, Martin Luther taught this, or John Calvin taught that, or John Wesley taught this, or Billy Graham taught that, or Charles Spurgeon, or Chuck Swindoll, or whoever. I don't care. 
What does the Bible say? And maybe they were right about all these things, and then in this one part of the Bible, they were really, really wrong. You know, there are things we can learn from previous generations of the church, lessons that they learned the hard way that we don't have to learn the hard way because we can learn from them. Uh, things that they've already processed through, and we can read their discussions and their writings and understand, okay, this is how they came to that. But that doesn't mean that every generation before us had it right. And I believe that this is one of those things that bad teaching has been passed down over and over again. And, And women are blamed when they should not be. Men are not held to account when they should be. And it's not okay. Now, increasingly, one of the changing dynamics is that it's no longer just men to women. There are increasing cases of women who use their power dynamics against men. Uh, More and more, of course, teachers, you know, you you hear story after story of an adult woman teacher who abuses a uh, uh, underage boy. Um, One of the leading Me Too actresses, you know, like six months after her whole thing against Harvey Weinstein came out, it came out that she had used power dynamics against a, uh, a teenage actor, a boy, uh, that, that she had had contact with. So, so we understand that people are just broken. But this idea of uh, that Bathsheba was the temptress, well, she was out bathing where David could see. He could see because he was the king. She was out bathing probably in a secluded area, probably a place in, in her garden where nobody else could see except from the palace. Why is it that, that, that she gets blamed? The truth is there's, there, there was nothing that we can find from the scripture where she instigated anything. David was at fault here. And I want to make that clear as I can. Now, David thought he was going to get away with it. I'll have Uriah killed. Then after her time of mourning is over, I'll take his wife Bathsheba in and it'll look like I'm doing a good thing. And you have to recognize it wasn't a good thing. David had multiple wives already. Why do I think that Bathsheba was the victim here? Because we already know nobody's telling the king no. That David was already out of step with God's ways by taking multiple wives and concubines. That, That David in this area was not strong before this. It wasn't like David was a strong man and then he came and then he met that that one temptress that got a hold of him. David was already weak in this area. And the Lord said to Nathan, or the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan's a prophet. We've already met him. In, In chapter 12, verse one, it says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except the one little lamb that he had bought. He raised it and grew it with him and his children, and it shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now David burned with anger. And said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then David, uh, Nathan said to David, you are the man. And this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house, and I, your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you more. 
Why then did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? And you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife for your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So what God is saying through the prophet Nathan to David is, you didn't kill him directly with your own hand, but that's just the same as if you had done the deed yourself. It's the same we understand as if somebody hires a hitman, they are guilty of murder, even if they don't pull the trigger because they are the instigators of the death of somebody. Now, verse 10, therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And this is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is closer to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. That will happen. Spoiler alert. One of David's own sons will bring calamity to his household, will sleep with his concubines in broad daylight in front of everyone in Jerusalem. And there will be strife from here until the Babylonian captivity between the sons of David. The nation will be divided. There will be two kingdoms, each trying to claim their title as, as the descendant of David. And from then on, no one has reigned on the throne of David since. Yes, there was a king when Jesus was born named Herod, but he was not of Israel. He was an Edomite. He was not of the line of David. No one has reigned on the throne of David since. And not until Jesus himself, the true heir of David, claims the throne when he comes back, will we see that restoration happen. Now, it says that the sword won't depart your house. Sometimes God judges people directly. He causes something to happen. He sends flood or famine. He sends illness. He sends a prophet. He sends something. Sometimes when God says, hey, this, this is the judgment of your sins, it's not so much that God is directly causing something to happen as he is allowing our choices to take root. Sometimes the grace of God is that he doesn't do something. He stays his hand. He has mercy. Sometimes the, the grace of God is that he corrects for our mistakes. Let's say that, uh, let's say that you know, I, I, I did something. I was angry with my children. I, I did not do a good job as a father, and they grew up to resent me. And then there was a healing work. And God brought healing between me and my children. And I know people that are like this, where there's situations and you know what? God does healing work. I was thinking of my friend, um, I have these friends and, and uh, I've thought of them on multiple occasions as I've read through this story, just because their home was so broken. And I, I still believe that there's possibility for healing, that there's possibility for redemption, but that's the grace of God fixing something. What God's doing here is he's saying to David, David, I'm just going to let what you've chosen happen. Sometimes the hell that we live in is the hell that we make for ourselves. That, that David created a situation that was designed to be broken. There's a reason why God says a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. Because it is better and it is healthier. It is better and it is healthier that two people live in a covenant relationship and separate themselves from intimacy with other people. It is not better to have multiple 
streams of family life and broken families. Now, can God use re- redemptive things? And, and you have situations where, you know, like my mom, you know, my mom's, my grandma, you know, she, my mom has uh, three brothers, two and a sister, and none of them had the same dad except the youngest two, and they had the same dad. That leads to brokenness. That's not a good thing. It's not a healthy thing. It's not a healthy thing when families are, are broken apart. It's not a healthy thing. You know, I know people who their dad's on their, you know, fourth or fifth marriage and there's kids from all of these different ones and some of them weren't even married. They're just, they had kids and that leads to strife. It leads to brokenness, especially in an ancient time. Like right now, we all just move to wherever we want. And yeah, I've got this broken family back in Denver, but I've moved to Portland to start over. But that's not how it used to work. You know, for most of human history, most people never went you know, more than what, an hour from their home. There's a place where they just say, I've never gone farther than this. That was commonplace. That happened. And the same, the same is true here where you have this situation with just brokenness after brokenness after brokenness, and then you're never leaving anywhere. You're just going to stay there and have to sit in it and live with it. So that's what's happening here. The sword will never depart. Now, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So David's owning it. He's repenting it. He says, I mean, uh, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord and the son born to you will die. Now you could say, well, wait a minute. Why does this child have to die? But David doesn't. I don't know. I trust God. I trust that his ways are true and he knows what he's doing. I don't have an answer here. Why does David get off and the, the get off the hook and the child doesn't? Well, does David get off the hook? I don't know about that. And after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David and he became ill. And David pleaded with God for the child and he fasted and he spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him to come up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died and David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead for they thought while the child was still living, he wouldn't have listened to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him that the child is dead? He may do something desperate. Basically, they're saying we don't know what he's going to do. He, he, may, he may kill himself. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves and he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground, and after he had washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His attendants, verse 21, asked him, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. That's mind-blowing to them. Why, Why aren't you mourning now? Your child died. And he answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. And I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And what he's saying is, I'm going to see my child. When I, get, when I die, I will see my child again. But he's not coming back. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and she went to him and he made love to her. And she gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. And the Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah, uh, which means loved by the Lord. Meanwhile, 
Job fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and captured the royal citadel. Job sent messengers to David saying, I have fought against Rabbah and taken its water supply. Now muster the rest of the troops and besiege the city and capture it. Otherwise I will take the city and it will be named after me. So David mustered the entire army, went to Rabbah and attacked and captured it. David took the crown from their king's head and it was placed on his own head and it waved a talent of gold set with precious stones. David took a great, great quantity of plunder from the city and brought out the people who were there, consigning them to labor with saws and irons and pickaxes, and he made them work at brickmaking. David did this to all the Ammonite towns, and then he and his entire army returned to Jerusalem. Well, we've hit the end of our time here, but I'll just close by saying this. God's judgment is for two reasons. It's to bring us to a place of repentance and it's to make sure that justice happens. God's mercy is to see us freed of the judgment that we deserve. David came to a place of repentance because of the judgment of God. And because of David's descendant, Jesus, we are freed and spared the wrath and the justice that our sins have brought in. And if we think ourselves better than David, maybe we haven't committed sins like he did, But all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And to think that we don't need the mercy and the forgiveness of God just like David did would be for us to think foolishly at our own peril. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can follow us at Faith on Hill on social media. We'll see you again next time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.